right, well, good morning. It's good to see everybody. I want to invite you to open God's Word to Ephesians chapter 5 this morning. Ephesians chapter 5, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 21 this morning. Um, I'm excited because this week, our student ministry, our, our youth, um, ages 7th grade through 12th grade, went to Panama City Beach, um, went to do what's called Centrifuge, um, and to be able to do that camp where they were exposed to missions, they were exposed to all kind of fun activities, um, but got to really come together, bond as a group and all those things. And so you'll be hearing about that, but I wanted to let you know that you know, you're part of sending them to do these sort of things. Um, you help make that possible just through your normal giving on a regular basis. That helps offset a lot of the costs so that we can do those sort of ministries. And so I just want to thank you again for your faithful giving to the church so that we can do ministry among all of the age groups within the church and do ministry that reaches our city um, in, in really healthy and strategic ways. Um, this morning, as we continue in this sermon series called Flourishing Families, that's my hope is that over these four weeks, we're looking at some key passages that I think we often don't realize the impact that they have specifically on how uh, families will flourish. For example, when I, the first sermon we looked at was out of 1 Timothy chapter 3. We talked about the, the need for dads in particular to lead like a pastor. But I want to expand that understanding a little bit to say that any of you in this room, that when you have leadership, whether it's at work or whether it's in your neighborhood or any kind of context, you can use the pastorate and those qualities that Paul puts forward as leadership qualities that you ought to possess in that leadership. And that the way you ought to lead others ought to be very similar to the way that a pastor shepherds a flock. Additionally, we then looked at families thrive or flourish whenever they are serving like a deacon. And so the same applies for you in any position you find yourself, where you live in your neighborhood, where you work, um, your, 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 your office, all of those contexts can be places where you, right now, whether you're married or not, you have kids or not, you're an empty nester, you're widowed, you're divorced, those things don't matter. Those are just situations we find ourselves in, but you can serve like a deacon right where you are. And when you do, families flourish because there are eyes of children that are constantly on you in every one of those situations. Whether you want to or not, you are impacting families today. You are impacting the culture of New Orleans today. You, right now in this room, are shaping the culture of this church, whether you want to or not. In fact, I would say that if you don't want to, that's having a negative impact. That's shaping in a negative way. That's kind of showing a, well, you don't really need to care much about church kind of way. So whether you want to or not, we're all shaping culture. We're all influencing families. We are, we are making our existence as families what it is today. And we need to take ownership for that as the people of God. That, that what we've got, the result of what we're doing is on our shoulders. It's in our hands. And so we can either pursue biblical paradigms for what life looks like and how people best thrive and to contribute to the thriving of this local body and into our city, or... We can say, I'm not interested. I'm not interested. And we'll just kind of keep quiet and, and withdraw from one another and not have the impact that God intends for the body to have. And so today I've entitled the sermon, Live Like a Saint. Families flourish when you and I live like a saint. And we're going to look at where I got that language from in the text itself. 
But I want you to, to understand that the reason I've chosen this passage is because it goes right into, in verse 22, in fact, I invite you to, to look at it real fast so that you're seeing it in the word for yourself, that this passage is going to go right into, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, because the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of the body. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives are to submit to their husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of the water of the word. And it goes on talking about the marriage relationship, which is that foundational unit to then what would become family and the gift of children. But then notice that Paul keeps going down in chapter six, children, obey your parents in the Lord because this is right. So Paul is building, he's building these blocks, but it goes back to what we read in chapter five today. And so when I give the, the description, live like a saint, I realize that I'm speaking to New Orleanians. And so that when you hear the word saint, you think of the boys in black and gold. Now, if you're Catholic or former Catholic, you may be thinking of individuals who have been granted sainthood in the Holy Catholic Church. Saint Rock, Saint Claude, Saint Bernard, Saint Anthony. That's where these streets get their name is from these that have been deemed saints. If you grew up Baptist, then you likely think of men and women, usually advanced in age, who people speak of with honor and respect, and of whom they say, maybe slightly with tongue in cheek, they're a saint when they're being described as someone else. Well, one thing is accurate in all those thoughts about the word saint. A, a saint certainly is someone set apart and distinguishable, like the boys in black and gold. A saint is certainly someone who should be recognized as such by the church, like the way the Catholic church acknowledges sainthood. And a saint should certainly be spoken of with honor and respect, but the Bible does not limit that title to a few select disciples, but bestows that term upon us all as followers of Jesus Christ and then calls us to wear it well. In fact, each one of us should be living like a saint. And when we do, that impacts the families of New Orleans to flourish, especially the families that are part of this local church. Don't miss this, especially if you're single, married with no kids, a divorcee, a widow, a widower, an empty nester. Every family in our church and in our city benefits when you and I live like a saint. So let us consider what that means. As we stand, I invite you to stand for the reading of God's word from Ephesians chapter five, beginning in verse one. Hear the word of the Lord. Therefore be imitators of God as dearly loved children and walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. But sexual immorality and any impurity or greed should not even be heard of among you as is proper for saints. Obscene and foolish talking or crude joking are not suitable, but rather giving thanks. For no one recognized this, every sexual, immoral, or impure, or greedy person who is an idolater does not have an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty arguments, for God's wrath is coming on the disobedient because of these things." Therefore, do not become their partners. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Testing 
what is pleasing to the Lord. Don't participate in the fruitless works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what is done by them in secret. Everything exposed by the light is made visible, for what makes everything visible is light. Therefore it is said, get up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Pay careful attention then to how you live, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time, because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making music with your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. Lord, I thank you for your word today. And it is a message for us today of greater implication than we often realize. So Lord, open our minds today to see how each one of us come and we look at your word and the 16 imperatives that are in these 21 verses, that those things are called for in your word for our good and for your glory, and that it results in human flourishing. So Lord, may we be part of that so that families, husbands and wives, children would thrive in First Baptist New Orleans and in New Orleans and among all the nations. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. As we walk through this passage, it's important to first understand that what I am doing in this moment is not just saying, be better, do more. Quit being lazy, work harder, now let's go get them. A lot of times that's what preaching can kind of feel like. It's just a push to be a better person, just to stop bad habits and pick up some new good ones. And while there is this aspect that we are being called to a higher plane of living, that Christ in us, as we've just sung about this morning, is residing within us to produce the good life. That, that human flourishing that his word speaks to in all of these ways, if we miss it and don't realize that it's Christ within us and we think that it's us doing this for Christ, working on a pro- project called life, that then we can say, look how good it was. Are you proud of me? That that actually results in a form of self-righteousness. It, it results in an independence from the spirit of God within us rather than a dependence. And so it's important for us to acknowledge from the outset that while Paul uses the word saint here, I hope you saw it in verse three, he said, as is proper for saints, and he was speaking of us all, that he begins this whole passage with the understanding, with this truth, that to live like a saint, you must first become a saint. To live like a saint, you must first become a saint. Notice that chapter five, verse one begins with, therefore, Well, what's it there for? If you just go back one verse, chapter four, verse 32, we read Paul giving instruction to the church at Ephesus. He says, and be kind and compassionate to one another. But then look at this, forgiving one another. Why? Just as God also forgave you in Christ. Now, what's he communicating there? He's communicating something about the essence of who we are. We are those who have been forgiven. 
That is a primary identity marker in who we understand ourselves to be. We are forgiven people, and that changes everything. But I want you to understand something today, that the reality that you face, that if this is maybe a new message to you, is that we are born into brokenness. We're born into a broken world full of broken people, And the reality is that we begin to see those aspects of brokenness all around us and they grieve us. They cause us to to clearly say together, something is wrong. But the Bible makes clear what's wrong by helping us to see God's design. You see, you turn back to the beginning of the Bible and God puts forward his design for human flourishing. And that included an unhindered relationship with him and an unhindered relationship with one another. There was beauty in the garden. There was human flourishing in that place. And so how did we get from God's good design to this broken world full of broken people? Well, the Bible answers that question by saying that sin entered into the world. And what we did is we said, we believe essentially humans can flourish another way than what God said we should do. And every time we err in that way and we say, I think humans flourish best this way, departing from God's way, we sin. And we get the result, which is a broken world full of broken people. But God did something to restore human flourishing, that restored relationship with him and that restored relationship with one another. Forgiving one another as God forgave you in Christ, that human flourishing, he did it through Christ. He sent his son to come and to live in our broken world, but he wasn't broken. He had that unhindered relationship with God and that perfect respect for one another. The way he treated people was exactly how God intended humans to be treated. And he flourished in the way that God intended humans to flourish. But at the end of that beautiful life, he did something for you and me because the Bible says that the consequence for our sin is death. And so Jesus paid the price the consequence for your sin and for mine by dying. He died on a cross. That's why the symbol of our faith is the cross because Jesus died on the cross in order to satisfy the justice of God. Sin was dealt with. It was paid for. He was then buried. And for three days, he was in the tomb. But on the third day, God demonstrated that his son had defeated sin and defeated death by raising him from the grave. And this became the demonstration of our hope. This is what you and I have to look forward to, that even though we may die, we will be raised just as Christ was. We will be given imperishable bodies that won't wear out. People will be able to touch us and walk with us and eat with us. And we will be with him forever. He ascended into heaven. And there's a promise that is given that if you and I will turn from our sin, just being honest with God, God, I am a sinner. And I need you to forgive me. And I trust that only Jesus can save me. That then and only then we become a new creation. Restored to that place where we can thrive as humans. Thrive in marriages. Thrive in families. Because of what Christ has done. And we begin to grow into his image. And so I communicate that today as the foundation for this message. In fact, I would probably be wise as a pastor that every sermon, that when we go into what does it mean to live the Christian life, we start with the gospel because it's not available. The Christian life is not available outside of Christ. 
in what Christ has done for us. He is the foundation. The gospel is the foundation for you and I to thrive as human beings. We live from a place, not going toward a place. We, we live from the, the work that has been completed so that now we can do the good works prepared ahead of time for us to do in Christ. So that's an important distinction for you and I to make, that you can't live the life of a saint unless you first become one. And Paul has made that clear in his word, and I hope that is clear today in this message. We must first become a saint. But then second, as Paul moves in, he makes clear that to live like a saint means that you know you are forgiven, as we've just established in chapter 4, verse 32, but then loved by God. See it in the word. Therefore, be imitators of God as dearly loved children. Did you know that the starting place of your identity changes everything about who you are? The starting place of your identity changes everything about who you are. In other words, if you answer the question, I say, who are you? And you begin to answer that question with, well, I'm, a, I'm an engineer. Then the second you lose your job, your world will fall apart. Until you find another engineering job, you're not a person. Your, your personhood, your identity, who am I, is in chaos. Chad, are you saying that if I start my identity in Christ, that if I lose my job, everything's gonna be smooth sailing? No, it's still gonna be hard. But if your primary identity is found in what you do, your job, if your primary identity is found in, well, I'm a husband, then the day you lose your wife, the day you lose your husband, that's a day of a loss of identity. You say, well, Chad, are you saying that it should be easy when we lose our spouse? No, not saying that at all. Death is not part of what God intended for humans to flourish. It's the opposite. It's the complete opposite of human flourishing. And that's why we need the hope of the resurrection. That's why we need the hope that there's life beyond the grave. But hear this, the way you are going to operate as an engineer at work the way that you are going to operate as a parent, I mean, as a spouse in your marriage, the way that you are going to operate as a parent, all of these identity things that you wear, you are an engineer, you are a husband or a wife, you are a parent, you are all of these things, but if the core of your identity is anything other than forgiven and loved, then you're gonna parent and work and, and love in all of these ways that are distorted where you're constantly trying to get from others, from those places, your significance. And you're gonna look to your spouse to give you something your spouse was, can't give you, only God can. You're gonna look to your employer to affirm you and give you identity and give you something that only God can. You're, you're gonna do parenting in such a way that you're trying to give them something or, or get something from them that only God was intended to give in your life. You will not be free to love. You'll be a prisoner to needing love. Looking for it, trying to earn it, trying to get it in all of these ways. But if you can fix this central point of your identity, I am forgiven and I am loved. Loved. Not just love like you love your favorite dish in New Orleans. Loved as a dearly beloved child. Loved is precious. Loved is sacred. Loved 
more than you love anything else in the world, that kind of love. That's what God is saying to you about his love for you. And that needs to be central to your identity. You see, in a lot of the aspects of parenting that we go through, is I've been exposed to trust-based relational intervention through Crossroads NOLA, the ministry that we've begun. I've begun to, to understand even more the implications of the significance of this, this aspect of parenting. In fact, when I was being trained as a practitioner with TBRI, I began to realize that there were aspects as they began to kind of unfold my own life, that there were things from the way that I was parented that I was then bringing into parenting. And there were things that really only God could set right in my heart. And the more that I came to that place of truly believing that I was loved by God, the more I was able to freely love my children and truly be able to love my wife. And so fix this as your identity, that to live as a saint means that you know you are forgiven and loved by God. Know that. To live like a saint, then, as we go into the passage, means, first of all, this. And I'm going to give some summaries because in these 21 verses, there's 16 imperatives. An imperative is do this. So there's 16 times Paul says, do this, do this, don't do this, don't do this. And it's all throughout the passage. But the first thing that's kind of a, a summary banner is this, to live like a saint means you walk in love. To live like a saint means you walk in love. You say, what do you mean walk in love? Walk implies going somewhere, right? You, you don't walk standing still unless you're on a treadmill, I guess but you walk somewhere. And so what is Paul meaning there? He's meaning as you live, as you go places, as you walk down the halls of your house, when you walk through the halls at your office, when you walk down the streets of your neighborhood, walk in love. Notice how he says it, but sexual immorality and any impurity or greed should not even be heard of among you as is proper for saints obscene and foolish talking or crude joking are not suitable, but rather giving thanks. For no one recognized this, every sexually immoral or impure or greedy person who is an idolater does not have an inheritance in the kingdom of God and of Christ. It's important for us to understand that we are called to walk in love, as he says in verse two, walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself us up for us a sacrificial and fragrant offering but the way that he puts it on display is by the absence of sexual immorality, by the absence of impurity, and by the absence of greed. I don't think a lot of us think of love in those terms. That by me fleeing sexual immorality, I am loving others. I often just think of it of, of, of my own self and how that benefits me. I don't think of often when I think about resisting greed and a love for money, how that is loving others. But I want to kind of flesh this out for just a moment to, to communicate in, in real practical terms what that looks like even here at First Baptist New Orleans. You see, every time an adult volunteer takes seriously the training that we require as a church with ministry safe. And this is important for us to talk about in light of recent headlines with sexual abuse in Southern Baptist churches. And you may have questions about those sort of things of like, what kind of church is this? Every time an adult takes seriously the training that we require as a church with ministry safe, an organization that does awareness training, does background checks, does application, all of these things, policies and procedures that we have paid handsomely in order to help us do this right. And they refuse 
that adult volunteer refuses to allow his or herself to be isolated with a child, families flourish. Likewise, families are hurt and growth is stunted when trusted leaders and volunteers consider themselves above the rules and isolate a child or a youth, even if nothing illegal happens. Such behavior opens the door to the perception. Paul says, not even a hint. It opens the perception that maybe children and youth are not safe. So to you that are part of our children, preschool, and youth ministry, who take seriously our training, who take seriously our policies and procedures, I say thank you. Thank you for being why this is a, a church that is orienting itself to protecting children, protecting families, and causing them to thrive. I want you to see the practical outworking of passages like this. They call us to a higher standard, to doing what is good and right and wise, even as it relates to the every week after week grind of doing youth, children and preschool and youth ministry. We want to do it in such a way that children thrive. I was personally blessed just a few weeks ago when one of our volunteers, whom I respect so deeply, right here, said, hey, I want to go back here and get something because we were getting out fans. It was the week that the air conditioner was broken in here and we needed to get fans and stuff like that. And this adult volunteer said, hey, I need some help getting the fan. And this young man has volunteered to help. Is there another student that can go with us? You want to know why he said that? It's not because he thinks that he's a bad person. It's because he takes seriously our policies and procedures. And even in a moment like that, he knew it would be unwise to isolate himself with a student back in a storage room, but instead said, is there another volunteer that can go with us? And so then the three of them went. That's how we reduce the risk. That's how we, we keep integrity in our ministry. And that's how we fulfill the word of the Lord, that there would not be any sexual immorality, no impurity, and no greed even heard among us. To live like a saint, as Paul goes on, means that you walk in the light. Let no one deceive you, he says in verse 6, with empty arguments, for God's wrath is coming on the disobedient because of these things, and therefore do not become their partners. For you, verse 8, were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light. Walk in the light. You see, I'm so grateful for my youth pastor when I was a student because he fulfilled this passage in ways that I didn't perceive when I was a teenager. I went to a high school in Baton Rouge called Bel Air High School. It was a school where there was a, a good mix of students of multiple races. There were Asian students, black students, white students, all at my school. And our church was located just about a mile and a half away. And so it was a great school to do outreach at. And so Anytime we were doing special events in order to invite students to come, I would invite everyone that I knew, all of my friends, black, white, Asians, it didn't matter. Everyone was invited and our youth pastor was encouraging us to come. But what I didn't know was that behind the scenes among some of the deacons that were still in that church, there were members even of the KKK who literally carried around a coin that was from their chapter of the KKK still in their pocket. I understand, I had no clue of this. I was a, a teenage student and I was being sheltered from those things. And listen, it's right for us to kind of shelter sometimes our kids from those things. But Brad Eubank was taking the licks in that moment. 
as leaders started to come to him and question whether we were going to allow black students to come to our youth group. He stood on the word of God and walked in the light at risk of his own job. And you want to know why I use that? Because it says, for the fruit of light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And Brad stood in truth in those moments. And he stood in truth for me so that I would grow up in a youth ministry where I knew that God had created all people. He had created them all in his image and they were good. But they had fallen into brokenness just like me, no different my sin, no different than theirs. And Christ had died for all. And so we could proclaim that gospel message and see students come to faith. And when black students began to be baptized, that's when it got lively. That's when it really heated up. But that's when the kingdom of Christ was at its best and at its finest. And I want you to see how when we live in these passages, when we live out the word of God, it causes us sometimes to have to stand and even stand alone. You see, Brad, he took the licks for us so that we could grow up in the kingdom. And that impacted this young man and it impacted the way that then I started to raise my family and the way that I live my life and the neighborhood that I wanna live in and the places where I wanna go and the life that I wanna live. Brothers and sisters, you are impacting the next generation. I encourage you, follow the example of those who have gone before us the example of brothers like Brad Eubank, my youth pastor in high school. To live like a saint means that you walk in love. To live like a saint means you walk in the light. And finally, to live like a saint means you walk in wisdom. You walk in wisdom. Pay careful attention then to how you live. Not as unwise people, but as wise. Making the most of the time because the days are evil. But notice then how he fleshes this out. Paul, in each one of these sections, is kind of giving you an illustration of the sort of things that he would like to see the manifestation of these things. He doesn't just leave it to be cerebral love or just like, you know, uh, philosophical light or things like that. He says, no, 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 there's practical applications of these things. I want you to do these sorts of things. So what does he say? What's an application point that he's making here? Well, we've come to it multiple times now over the last couple of weeks. Verse 18, and don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled by the Spirit. I promise this has not been a sermon series on drinking, um, but I do want you to see how the Word of God addresses these things. So we've kind of come full circle here, and so I want to speak another moment. There's the assumption here that drinking is permitted. We've already acknowledged that back in 1 Timothy chapter 3, both the description for the deacons and for the overseers includes the provision of that, but not including drunkenness. But notice that in this context, it's a word of wisdom, walk in wisdom. And he says, not getting drunk. And so here's where we should make that allowance for, for those, I'll speak to this moment, those that, that do socially drink. I wanna to speak to you for a moment because there's that other side, right? That say, you know what? I'm just gonna make the decision not to drink. It's just not gonna be part of my life. And sometimes that can feel like a, a weaker position to those that say, I do drink and I drink in moderation. I don't get drunk. There's not a problem here. I encourage you in this moment to allow within the body of Christ, that for some, 
they're going to make a decision based on a number of circumstances. And we kind of touched on that before, that they're not going to drink. And that doesn't mean that they're looking down on judgment on anyone else. That doesn't mean that they're, they're, they're walking in a weaker faith. It may mean that they come from a family where alcoholism was prevalent. It may mean that they have personal experience in their life where they did things they regretted while drinking. And so for a number of reasons, they've just said, you know what, I just don't want that to be part of my life. They may say, I just can't afford to do it. I, I can't afford alcohol right now. My budget's really tight, especially with inflation. There's lots of reasons to look at that, but I encourage you to look at each other as making wise decisions within the body. That we're together as one body pursuing wisdom together because that's the context of this passage. But he goes on, but be filled by the Spirit. And so what does that spirit, being filled with the Spirit look like? Well, I know that for some more charismatic groups, they say, well, you know, if you act crazy when you're drunk on wine, you ought to act crazy when you're filled with the Spirit. I don't think that's what Paul was driving at in this moment, is that we ought to look inebriated in the Spirit. And I don't think that's what he's getting at because he goes on with participle language as he moves through here, speaking very clearly, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making music with your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for everything to God in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. Paul says, if you want to see the beauty of the body of Christ on display, then see it in worship. See it in the way that you gather as the body in order to worship the Lord. Let it be that when we come together as God's people, we come and we come to moments even like this with the Lord's Supper. And I want to invite you, if you receive those elements, to go ahead and get those out and to go ahead and open the bread part of that little uh, container. If you did not receive one of these and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, this is something that we as, as followers of Jesus Christ do in order to honor the Lord and to worship him. If you're here today and you're considering the claims of Christianity, you're considering what all this means, I just ask that you would just, just sit and, and consider these things, not taking them personally, but instead just considering what they mean in this moment. Because what Paul is pointing at in this passage and in this way is he's saying we come to things like this, to, to these elements, and we come to the word that's just been proclaimed. We come to the songs that have been sung by our worship team, and we speak to one another in our Bible study groups from the word and about these things. And that's what it means for us to be filled with the Spirit. I think sometimes we think that I've just got to go sit in a isolated position, say, Lord, fill me, Lord, fill me, Lord, fill me, and just kind of do this rather than coming into this place saying, Lord, fill us. Lord, fill us as we submit ourselves together to your word. Lord, fill us as we worship you in song. Lord, fill us again as we take of the Lord's Supper and we remember the death of Christ and what it means. Lord, fill us again today in this place so that we can live like a saint to the benefit of this city and to the benefit of this church. You see, Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he said, for I received from the Lord, but I also passed on to you that on the night when he was betrayed, speaking of Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus took the bread, and I invite you to take the bread right now. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so we take this piece of bread in remembrance of Christ and his body that was given for us. Take and eat with hearts of gratitude. And now I invite you to peel back the juice lid. 
God's word says, in the same way also he took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so we take this and we remember that his blood was shed, but that blood atoned for our sin. This is the only way we can be cleansed is through what this represents, pointing back to the blood of Jesus Christ. And so we do this in remembrance of him and the forgiveness we have. Paul continues, for as often as you eat this bread and you drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so today, that's exactly what we've done. But we also want to proclaim it in song in accordance with this word, all in the desire that we would be filled with the spirit, that we might go into New Orleans and all nations, demonstrating that it's no longer I, but Christ who is within me. I'm going to invite for everyone to stand in this moment. You may be here today and there are things weighing heavy in your life. I'll be standing right here for the next, throughout the duration of this song. And if you just need prayer this morning, you just would like for a pastor to pray for you, I invite you to come. I'll be standing right here and would love to be able to pray for you this morning. But let's all worship in response to God's word.